Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. The first time we heard the question we wanted to leave this dry dust. We wanted to turn our heads away from the sound of copper. The voice grew a crowd calling to this skin and that. This program features the work of 2020 writer Ching-Yi Chen. In the first half, you'll hear their conversation with curator Anastasia Rene, recorded in the Jack Straw Studio. Tell me a bit about your Jack Straw project. Well, so what I had thought about when I um, applied to be a fellow was I was living in Texas at the time in Houston. Um, I had started writing a lot about just my response to flooding. So there were these tax day floods in 2016. And when they started, um, I used to commute for an hour and 50 minutes each way Mm -hmm. to work. And I couldn't get on the highway because of the floods. And so I was kind of stuck in my house, and I was seeing all these um, Facebook updates. And that was the impetus for me writing a response to that weird feeling of being trapped in my house and not being able to go anywhere, but then also knowing that there was, like, this flooding happening and seeing intense images, you know, over social media and also, um, you know, like, over different news footage. Um, And that was a precursor to Hurricane Harvey. And I was also in Houston when that happened. Um, So I started writing, I would say, like experimental prose poems um, and doing kind of my process where just um, kind of take material from what's going on in the world around me and then just see what happens. And what happened at that time were these weird characters started arising and like from the details of what was going on. And I was also really thinking about my relationship with my breath. So I grew up with um, severe asthma, you know, like with my parents, like having to shell me to the to the hospital a lot, um, you know, in and out of doctors' offices. Um, really impacted my relationship with my body, my body image, exercise, health, you know. Um, and then during that time period, also being really impacted by environmental factors of living there, and also trying to develop a different relationship with my breath through meditation and through thinking about the breath as a unit where I'm just sitting there and waiting. So all of these things are happening, and a lot of my writing process is is kind of responding to these different threads and then seeing what kind of relationship they have together or what comes out of it. So I had this body of work that was very personal and individual, and then I started wanting to have a conversation with others um, in that community about it. So at the time, I had um, organized, like, community story circles where folks— and I was, like, trying to have folks who shared certain parts of my identity, but also folks from very different communities um, come together and and tell stories um, and then make work based on that. So um, through that process, I became interested in sound, recorded sound and also live performance um, and just kind of like different voices and how could they be braided together in seeing, making sense of this experience. 
So that's the project that I had in mind in terms of what I was interested in working on more here. What connects you most to your genre of writing? I would say right now that my genre is hybrid or blurry. And that just means that it is interested in what's between what you would call genre, like what's between poetry and fiction or what's between poetry and nonfiction. Um, And even pulling in, you know, other art forms like visual art or performance or music. And I think I'm interested in the slippery qualities of making and creating and kind of what we can learn from different genres, like what different genres have to teach us. In your relationship with the world as it relates to writing, what's been your biggest epiphany you've experienced based on your work, big or small? I came into writing through spoken word poetry. And I think it's a genre that taught me a lot, but I feel like when I was in that form, I was more like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, you know, (laughs) this is my identity, (laughs) which was really important for me at that time because I feel like no one had really told me a lot about my identity or, um, you know, like, and I'm I'm thinking of myself as um, Asian American, as non-binary, you know, like I didn't really have access to a lot of those um, stories, that history. So that was, that was me. I was like, I want to tell you. Um, And so that was important. And then um, I think... The more I wrote, I went from like a very a more certain place to a place full of more questions. Mm-hmm. And I think what what surprised me is I never knew what people would get out of my work. The people who I never would have imagined would respond to my work would start talking to me and coming up to me. So that was something that I found really surprising and also joyful, you know, um, because it sparked these conversations with other artists or just community members or, you know, folks, um, then that would lead to something else. So I feel like now my process is more that I try to keep it open and just try to trust that process. And what I mean by that is, like, try to hold the space open for what is to come. And that's the thing I don't know, like, what will come. How do you cope with writer's block? I rely on accountability. And what I mean by that is I know myself, so I trick myself and I put myself in a group where other people expect things (laughs) of me. And that is the best way for me to produce something. Do you think that writers should have a particular writing practice or writing rituals? So, okay, (laughs) I want to say this. So if I have my teacher's hat on, I'm always encouraging my students to have a writing ritual or writing practice because I feel like there's so much out in the world that prevents us from that writing practice or ritual. So I want to encourage them to do that. But I also realize that not everyone works the same way, and that could be something that actually blocks you that some type of obligation or guilt for not doing what other people think you should be doing. So I think if it works for you, yes. But I don't want to impose my 
writing practice or ritual in others. If that makes sense. It does. But now I'd like to know, what are yours? <laughs> <laughs> what are your writing rituals or practices? Well, so I do better with others. <laughs> so I feel like I'm always trying to sign up for some type of community where I know others will be doing what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the grind is, is one thing that's been common. Um, I try to apply for residencies um, so that I can – there's something about if I know other people are working – even if we're not necessarily working together, that makes me more focused in work. And then I feel guilty if I'm not doing it. So, and then if if I can't do it, even like making a writing date with somebody else and knowing that that person is is has their laptop in front of me and they look like they're working, then that will push me to work. Guilt and shame, I guess, <laughs> would be my answer. <laughs> with some coffee. <laughs> Guilt, shame, coffee. Check. Got it. What would you tell your your younger writing self? What's a note or a nudge or some advice you would offer them? So I worked in um, a lot of community organizations, and I felt like I, I oftentimes felt like I had to choose between my writing and like the other work that I was doing, and I often felt like the writing was really selfish, like it was a selfish act. And I think I I would tell my younger self that, like, it's all part of that work, like, to make the world a better place, you know, and and that it mattered, the writing mattered. So um, to, like, give myself more kindness and more space for that. Now we'll hear a selection from Chingy's live reading. This first piece that I'm going to share is actually uh, 15 really short pieces that accumulated. I think a lot of the prompts that we've gotten have had um, some type of numerical constraint. So that's where that comes from. And it is in the Jack Straw Anthology. One introduction. A blue pebble rinses in bowl. We wonder where it came, why it sang during the quiet hour. Two transformations. No stones rise and wail. We wait to float, breathe underground. These motionless hours, you break and gain each wind and tumble, each fall and dawn. Three nights. In a song, the stones float. The breaths wait and ground. The minutes break and slip into next. Do we know how long to hold this break, this breath apart? Four stones. What we couldn't rinse down quiet into this wailing dirt. In a tear of the next slipping skin, under surface you broke again for honey. Instead, received the white of an egg, asked to make dew. 
five fingers, a make-do blue surface, an exempt sky. What comes with sweet but a slow-moving animal crouching in sand? What raises morning but stretching towards a red winter? No hidden corn, no grainy bushels. Six bites, where we hid, no turning back, no night relief. You might have seen a flash and thought you saw salt. Might have seen what you thought was sky become lash. All we want is to push and crave, to taste a bit of the shell under our tongue. Seven holes. The tongue became container to catch what fell cracked from sky. What came through as dry and small bodies slipping through nets perfect. Eight days. We fell dry, contained in nets placed under tongue. We wet and turned, flashed in salt. We cracked in blue. We small and body become pushing sky. Nine tongues for each blue, each small, each push, each dry. I asked for a thread and received an eye. I asked for sugar. In the morning, a body made of muscle and wet, crystal and onyx. Ten mornings. Ten bowls with rising grains, next to fire, next to ash, ask us to listen and learn what each stock composes. Eleven revisions. Once upon a time, when I was myself, I asked for thread, received sugar in the eye. I rose the grain, turning the salt blue. I push the tongue small. You always ask me what I mean. You want a song housed in a bowl. You want to listen to fire. Who composes a wet response? Twelve compressions. Once myself asked thread for I, received grain for blue. Small you, what I mean. A song in a bowl. Fire who composes wet. Thirteen leaps. Asking doesn't mean you sing. Asking doesn't feed you thread or grain. A blue bowl in fire. Fourteen eyes. Rinse thread in a bowl. Grain pebbles in the fire. Out of the sky, an hour rising from sweet. A wet winter. I composing a morning, a red flash of breath. Fifteen threads, a minute in each mouth. A blue between each eye. A pinch into bowl, another small tongue. Another wet note. Who wanted the fire? What received the night? I'm just going to read um, one more piece that's multi-threaded. Um, and this is also from one of, um, one of the prompts. Um, and I'm going to read each strand separately and then together. Um, and there's a line in there that is from a song by Mitski called Nobody. And the line is, did its people want too much too? Desert. In the green sea, you barter with eye and ear only in the first light. 
They who grow aqui as blue as the water used to be in the middle of the market. A voice opens like a bell between open and close, singing, Did its people want too much too? The first time we heard the question we wanted to leave this dry dust. We wanted to turn our heads away from the sound of copper. The voice grew a crowd calling to this skin and that. Over time, the traders waited for the voice to unlatch the door for others they had never seen with shimmering fabric to gather, for everything to occur in the span of a throat. You never asked for much, even an open shell or a metal song. We first wished for you to exit, and then we offered soup, a thimble of coffee, a city of homegrown vegetables. We felt your desire to leave in our bones. And we worried in the green sea, you barter with eye and ear. Nine days. Quarantine flowers masp up blooms and sing behind window. Limited Sunday audience of sunray and light rain. A neighbor in the next porch claims a thief to wave hello. Since the lonely still make friends, still making little library friends who lost their jobs. Little ghost hands on unclean books leave suspicious traces. Trash removes itself out the door, sees no one, wipes down its handles, good and steady and clean. Desert, nine days. In the green sea, you barter with eye and ear. Quarantine flowers mask up blooms. Only in the first light, they who grow aqui as blue as the water used to be. In the middle of the market, a voice opens like a bell. Limited Sunday audience between open and close, singing, Did its people want too much too? The first time we heard of sunray and light rain, the question we wanted, a neighbor in the next porch to leave this dry dust claims a thief. We wanted to turn, to wave hello, our heads away, since the lonely still make friends from the sound of copper. The voice grew a crowd, calling to this skin and that, still making little library friends who lost their jobs. Over time, the traders waited for the voice to unlatch the door for others they had never seen with shimmering fabric to gather for everything to occur in the span of a throat. You never asked for much, even little ghost hands on unclean books, an open shell or a metal song. We first wished for you to exit and then leave suspicious traces. We offered soup, a thimble of coffee, a city of homegrown vegetables. We felt your desire to leave in our bones, and we worried. Trash removes itself out the door, sees no one, wipes down its handles, good and steady and clean. In the green sea, you barter with eye and ear. Thank you so much. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production, produced by Alyssa Keen and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Steve DeTori, Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, and Ayesha Ubiatilaka. 
Our theme music is by Sassy Black, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2020 curator of this program is Anastasia Renee, and the narrator for this podcast is Alyssa Keene. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks to Larry Lawrence for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.